Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is January 1st, 2023. Happy New Year. Welcome to a special edition of Canadian Common Sense, our year in review. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How goes it, my man? Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Um, how, how, was, uh, how was your New Year's last night? Actually, it was great. Um, we didn't go anywhere, my wife and I, because, uh, well, I mean, we're, we are in our 50s, so we're not exactly going to go party hardy anywhere. But yeah, we just stayed in and uh, watched a little TV and just sort of in, enjoyed some quiet time uh, at home by ourselves with the cats and managed to make it till midnight. I don't usually stay up that late, but uh, probably was in bed by about 12.03, but we did it. So <laughs> how about you guys? Uh, well, um, my wife is 50 and we did go out and party. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we went out and watched... Uh, uh, a couple of friends who were in a band last night, and uh, it was a lot of fun. No, oh, excellent. Yeah. Good. Well, um, here in Saskatchewan, we've got, uh, at least in Saskatoon, we got pummeled on Christmas Day with about 20 centimeters of snow, and then an additional five centimeters on Boxing Day, and a couple more the day after that. And our residential streets have been completely impassable. And I think this is hilarious in uh, in a not so funny sense that the city of Saskatoon does not clear residential streets of snow. In a city where we have winter for basically five months a year, their policy is now we'll just leave the residential streets alone and you know it'll it'll melt eventually. We'll just clear the bus routes and the main thoroughfares. Well, we had two cars that didn't have the ground clearance to get out of the parking spots in front of our house until just a couple of days ago when some good Samaritan who had a bobcat came along and plowed a trail in the middle of the street. So the city just finally decided that, well, okay, I guess we maybe we better get out and plow some residential streets because they got enough pushback from residents. And I just thought that was hilarious. It's like, okay, so uh, we're basically impassable, but the folks who are paying the property taxes are the ones who aren't able to get to work to pay the property taxes. Like it's yeah. ridiculous. Like, I mean, I know the folks who live around the Great Lakes right now are just saying, oh, 25 centimeters. That's cute. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad across the country. Even you've got some snow apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that whole not plowing residential streets is a pretty common thing in big cities uh, in Canada. I remember when we lived in Edmonton, it was the same thing. Um, That's true. We, uh, and I mean, that, that place has snow on the ground for six months of the year. Right. So uh, yeah, I remember living like half a block off a of main artery and uh, when I was in West Edmonton and the, the main road, which was Stony Plain drive, uh, that got plowed, but my little side street didn't. And by the time, you know, March rolled around or, or end of February rolled around, there was, there was like an, uh, a 10 inch difference in height between our road and the main road. 
<laughs> and because it would be just compacted snow, right? And I mean, there would be potholes in the in the ice. <laughs> and uh, but I mean, it was a good thing I had a truck because I mean, like you get to the end of the of the road and you just kind of drop off the edge, right? And it's just you eat, inch your way to the edge of it and then drop off. And it was it was it was. Uh, it was a shocker to me as a as a as a young man coming from the in, like southern interior of BC, right? And uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I mean, even here in the Okanagan, we've got a lot of snow this year. I think uh, I think I measured it was eighteen inches deep uh, on my um, patio table outside. Uh, so, which is a lot of snow for this area. Uh, we've been just getting dumped on. I mean, okay, so to give everybody who's not from here a an idea of how much colder and harsher this winter has been than in the past, um, most winters, uh, we usually don't get, like we might get a snowfall or two in November, but it doesn't stay, it melts right away. And we'll be able and we usually don't get snow that stays on the ground until at least december 10th well this year um when i left for vegas at the on november 1st it was 12 degrees was the high uh here and then five days later well actually it ended up being like seven and a half days later <laughs> when i when i got back home uh it was below zero and we had a foot of snow on the ground and that never went away like it never oh. melted it never went away we it's i i was gonna plant garlic in our in our uh garden when i got back and it has never the snow has not melted and it hasn't gotten warm enough where i could actually get it in the ground so I'm not going to have garlic this year, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, now we're January 1st, we've got 18 inches of snow on the ground. It is, yeah, I mean, it's zero degrees out right now, which isn't bad, but, but I mean, it's been, it, this has been one of the coldest, harshest winters that I can remember. And, uh, and it's actually like, aside from last winter, it, the last several years have been like that they've been getting colder they've been getting longer they've been getting more snow um than normal uh last year was a super mild winter but other than that like it's been yeah the most last several years have been colder harsher more snow yeah well i guess uh I don't want to say cyclical weather weather patterns because then I'll be accused of being a climate denier. But yeah, we do seem to be getting into a bit more of a cooler winter phase, like uh, especially yeah. those folks in and uh, you know around the Great Lakes in southern Ontario and the Ottawa area where they've been hammered by snow and via rail had to cancel. They're now going, but I mean, yeah, there were so many flights and train schedules that were were canceled because of the snow and yeah. Even out here, I saw a Twitter video and uh, down around Shaunavon, Saskatchewan, which is where Haley Wickenheiser hails from, uh, there was the drift so bad on the railway track, there was a train engine with a plow on it 
and one of the drifts actually stopped the engine it uh couldn't get through so it was, uh so yeah they've got the they got a bit of snow down there and they don't yeah. usually get a lot in that area yeah well i mean it's, it's so much for that global warming they keep promising us right it's um <laughs> i mean it, and honestly i mean when you see this these weather patterns and stuff and the, these i mean because okay if you want to know what kind of winter or summer or entire year that you're going to have, the most reliable and most accurate way of predicting the weather is to go out and buy a farmer's almanac. And the farmer's almanac is way more accurate and can predict the weather months and months and months in advance to, and, and is pretty accurate with it with those predictions way more accurate than your news uh weatherman and there's a reason and it's because weather is cyclical and and they and that's how they're so accurate and I, I don't understand. This is something that's a recurring theme, and this is this is something we're going to be talking about during this show because when we recap the stories of, you know, the 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 top three most important stories of 2022, uh, one of the recurring themes is is for me is why why don't Canadians trust their own eyes and their own ears? Like yeah. when it comes when it comes to the weather, why can't they trust their own eyes and their own ears to see that the winters are getting colder, harsher, and more snow? Why can't they trust their own eyes and ears when it comes to COVID? Why can't they trust their own eyes and ears when it comes to, you know, Justin Trudeau's scams and and con uh, uh, conflicts of interest and ethics violations and all of those things. I mean, why can't they trust their own eyes and ears when it comes to uh, all the scandals and, and, uh, and all of that stuff? I mean, it's, I, I don't understand how people refuse to believe what they see and hear. Yeah, good point. So, um, yeah. so actually, we'll, uh, we'll just get right into the uh, what most popular shows are. We'll probably throw a few current events in between as well, because there are some things that have come up that need to be discussed. But yeah. on the show today, the Freedom Convoy, a new Conservative Party of Canada leader, money in Canadians' wallets, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, I mean, let's just start off with what was the biggest the biggest story of the year. And I think the most important story of the year, and that was the freedom convoy and the fallout from it. And uh, so it's, we, we had one of the most important things in politics happen uh, in the developed world this year. And I mean, that it happened back uh, back at the very beginning of 2022, and it was the Freedom Convoy. And uh, it what started out as, you know, like a grassroots um, 
thing out here in the West where they just started driving trucks for, headed towards Ottawa. I mean, the media tried to downplay it. The politicians tried to downplay it, uh, saying that it was just a few people. The media tried to say it was just a few, few trucks, nothing, nothing to be worried about or, or any, or nothing to get excited about. And, uh, and it quickly turned into, you know, I mean, obviously it wasn't, you know, when they got to Ottawa, it wasn't as big as what we had seen on the highways, because as we discussed on this show, people would join the convoy as it drove through their town and then abandon it afterwards because they, you know, they wanted to feel like they were part of something and something important. And, and, and it was really cool to see on TV, all of these, you know, kilometers long lineups of vehicles on the highway. It was fantastic. It was great. But when I got to Ottawa, it was still a pretty substantial amount of trucks and, and personal vehicles. Yeah. And the Freedom Convoy, as far as Canadian common sense is concerned, were our biggest shows. And we, we had almost double our current listenership at, you know, at the, what was current at that time tuning into our Freedom Convoy episodes. And we had joked both privately and on this show that you know some of those were probably RCMP and CSIS looking for tips. But, um, <laughs> but see, we did something a little different than what, well, even what the mainstream media hack journalists did. And that was, we actually paid attention to what was going on on the street. I mean, we went to YouTube, we went to Rumble, we watched the Facebook Lives and we, paid attention to what actual people were doing on the streets in Ottawa instead of sitting in a fifth floor office five blocks away and saying, oh yeah, those bunch of racist, homophobe, white supremacists are are trying to take over Ottawa. Well, that was completely counter to what was actually happening. In it. And it was really important, I think, not just for us as our show, but for other independent journalists and citizens just to, to get that message out that you know, the mainstream media got it completely wrong. And it was, as we found out later, obviously deliberate that they were getting the wrong messaging out there. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that was something I was just going to mention as well, is that when they were, when the media was painting the convoy as exactly what Justin Trudeau was calling them, which was, you know, what did he say that they were uh, uh, oftentimes uh, or that the, these people were all anti-science and oftentimes a small fringe minority. Yeah. Small fringe minority with unacceptable views and whether or not we should even tolerate their views in Canada. Um, so much for inclusiveness. Uh, the, he also said, you know, that these people in this convoy were anti-science. And if, and, and oftentimes these people who are anti-science are also racists and misogynists and, uh, and homophobic, right? And uh, so, I mean, he, he just painted everyone who was worried and concerned and, and oftentimes terrified of what COVID is doing to our communities, to our, uh, our, our, our industries, 
um, the trucking industry, the um, restaurant industry, all of these, that the, we were worried about what these policies were doing, even to the fabric of families, that we were somehow racists and misogynists and homophobes for for being worried about these things. And this is what I talked about leading up to this was, I don't understand because a lot of people bought into that narrative. Um, I don't understand why people can't just believe their own eyes and ears. And when the media and the prime minister are telling can Canadians the complete opposite of what's actually happening on their TV screens, that they choose, choose. I, I'm going to say they choose to believe this narrative rather than what's actually happening in front of their face. That That's actually exactly what it was. It was, uh, well, it was really unfortunate. I remember one video I saw I think it was a Facebook live it was a lady from Calgary and she actually worked for a, a newspaper there she didn't say which one and I don't blame her but she said she worked in a newsroom and what she had heard was exactly that government narrative and so she came out for herself to see where all these white supremacists and homophobes were and she said it was uh, essentially like a a summer of love party except it was middle of winter but she just said yeah she was so amazed by the fellowship and just by the the jubilant atmosphere there and i have to put down the white supremacist thing and i mentioned this on the shows even back then that about half of drivers in the trucking business are actually from india so yeah. there was and a lot of the indians were actually there for the protests and Rupa Supermania oh, yeah. was with National Post at the time had pointed that out too she said there are people here from all walks of life she said a lot of people who look like me and there was actually one fellow to it uh, who was Indian and someone in the crowd had, had said you know where are the white supremacists and he and he was joking he said I am I am as a joke and then uh, of course the mainstream media picked up on that there's even people admitting they're white supremacists like yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People who aren't even white. Yeah. 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 Yep. No, it's, it's, it, it was, uh, it was hilarious. Um, hilarious and maddening at the same time. And, uh, and then of course, three weeks into it, uh, we get the emergencies act. Um, we were told that the Emergencies Act was being invoked because it was the only tools the government or the police had uh, to crack down and disperse the people, which we knew was false at the time. Uh, the blockades that went up at, the Winds at Windsor and at uh, Coots, Alberta, um, though I completely disagreed even at the time with those blockades um, because they were blocking critical infrastructure uh, they uh, they were all they were both taken down before the emergencies act was even enacted uh, 
and um and yet the government used the blockades as their reasons for enacting the emergencies act and we saw the media you know uh gaslighting everybody into believing that there were that there were guns and weapons at the coots alberta uh, blockade um, in fact, you will see even today, they will say that there were guns and ammunition that were uh, confiscated at the blockade in Coots. They'll, they continue to say that to this day. Um, it, it's not true. There were no guns or ammo uh, that were confiscated at the blockade. Those were removed from a home in Coots, Alberta. And the person who lives in that home was at the blockade. But those guns and ammo were not at the blockade. He didn't take them to the blockade. Uh, so this is a, uh, is a lie and purposeful misleading of the general public by the media into believing that they that the protesters at Coots Alberta were armed. And and it's simply not true. And we saw the media completely complacent and and in league with the PMO in framing yep. the, in framing the public perception of what was going on at those blockades. Yeah, well actually let's talk about that. There was the, the CBC was guilty of that on multiple fronts. I mean, there was the one uh, host who had suggested that Russia was behind the convoy right from the start. And yeah. then there was, once, once the Emergencies Act was invoked, there was Ashley Burke who had suggested someone threw a bicycle into the, the path of horses and and causing that elderly lady to get, get run over because the, I'm guessing the police tried to avoid the quote unquote bicycle. When again, like you said, Canadians who use their own eyes and ears could see the video and saw that the horse actually darted out and ran over the old lady on the mobility scooter, not a bicycle. And yet there's been no retractions. There's been like no repercussions whatsoever. It's just, yep, we lied. And uh, yeah, screw you, Canada. We lied. Yeah. And yeah. that, and with the, uh, when the inquiry came out afterward, it brought even more of that stuff to light. And it's just, it's just made me angrier, to be honest. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, because even the day before the Emergencies Act was enacted, the Prime Minister himself was saying it, that the act was not required; it was not needed to disperse the crowds. Um, I don't know. I, I'm still at a loss as to why there were police from all over the country being flown in. Uh, to Ottawa while he was saying the Emergencies Act was not needed unless he was unless he was saying we're going to be enacting the Emergencies Act so let's get all these cops in from all over the place to to help with this uh, and then just you know tell people right up until the very last second no oh, no we're not going to do it it's not needed uh, the cops just need to do their damn jobs I think is what he had said on that phone call um and uh, like, because I think he said that on his phone call with uh, with with uh, Premier Ford, right? Um, but uh, meanwhile, they were flying cops in from all over the place. 
um, preparing for this. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I like I said, um, like I said before, why why people can't just believe their own eyes and their own ears, and uh, and they believe this narrative pushed by the media and the PMO just blows my mind. Yeah, well, and as it came out in the inquiry as well, that even at the very outset of the protest, the prime minister and cabinet were talking about utilizing the Emergencies Act and David Lametti and Marco Mendicino, quote unquote, joking about bringing in tanks. And to be fair to the police in Ottawa, they lost control of the convoy and it was a, the most peaceful protest that uh, Pat Morris had ever seen. He was an OPP intelligence uh, head who yeah. had, had said, uh, he said he'd never seen such a peaceful protest in his whole career. So uh, I, can, I, I guess I suppose that gives the Ottawa police a reason to uh, you know, not crack down. But I mean, they, they clearly lost control of what was an incredibly peaceful protest and allowed a bouncy castle to go up in hot tubs and allowed these <laughs> demon truckers to, to feed the homeless. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, they, they really had to do something about that. Like that's, uh, I mean, in all seriousness, we also found out they had a plan to move trucks away from the residential areas and the government stepped in and thwarted that. So it's, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that we had the inquiry. I mean, it's not going to produce any results that you and I will be happy with, but at least no. we got to find out some information that we never would have heard. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and, and uh, just as a, a side note, if for those of you who want to learn more about the Freedom Convoy, Andrew Lawton's book is actually a, quite a good source. Uh, it's called The Freedom Convoy, The Inside Story of Three Weeks That Shook the World. I'm sure you can still get it at your local bookstores or on Amazon or, or whatnot. But uh, as a supplementary source of information, that's a good one. So Yeah, and, if, and you can actually go back and listen to Tony's interview with Andrew Lawton uh, that he did earlier this year, um, where he, uh, where he discussed much of what's in the book as well on our, on our show. So, um, I don't remember what episode that is, but yeah, I don't remember either, but, uh, but yeah, look through the archives folks. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely there. So, yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's move on from the freedom convoy, um, actually sparked, during the Freedom Convoy, uh, Aaron O'Toole, who was even more of a flip-flop than Paul Martin was as Prime Minister, if you could imagine that, uh, Aaron O'Toole couldn't decide if he was for the convoy or against the convoy or for mandates or against mandates, which was the whole reason for the convoy, and ended up losing his job. Well, after losing his job, Pierre Polyev immediately announced on social media that he wanted to be prime minister and was going to run for the job of conservative party leader. And I don't use the word revolution lightly. Uh, Pierre Poiliev traveled the country back and forth several times and signed up over 300,000 members himself to join the conservative party. And it built it into the largest political party in Canadian history. And can we use the word sweep? into victory good lord he uh he, he he dominated in every possible interpretation of the word yeah um i remember watching ctv and cbc uh before the uh before the convention where he was named 
the uh, the winner of, of of the campaign, and they multiple experts, and I use air quotes when I say that, multiple experts on both news organizations were saying that they know that he's popular, but they don't believe he will be able to win the leadership because he wouldn't be able to win Southern Ontario or Quebec. And, uh, and that, and as it turned out, I believe Pierre Polyev won all but five? All, all but six. All but six ridings in the entire country. So, yeah. oh no, well, I'm sorry, no, all but eight. There was uh, 330 out of 338. There were six okay. in Quebec and two in Ontario. That's what it was. Yeah, so six in Quebec, two in Ontario. All but eight ridings in the entire country, Pierre Polyev won. And he, he received uh, nearly, I believe, 80% of the vote total. I think so. And I think it was, I thought it was a, it was the first ballot win. Yeah, I can't remember the. Yeah, it was the, the first exact... ballot win. And it was so substantial that there's just no questioning who conservatives wanted to be their leader. Uh, right. One thing that I've got to give them credit, give him credit for, is that he has not backed down on many of the things that he said that he would do as leader of the conservatives when he was running for the leadership campaign. And we heard on this show when you did an interview with Max Bernier that, and it's true what Max said was that most like, well, not most, all conservative leaders run as conservative as possible in the leadership campaign. And then once they become the leader, they move to the left. And they start backing down on many of the issues that they said they would stand on. Um, most often, it's you know, it's uh, uh, it's guns, you know, firearms rights and stuff like that that they'll back down on. And we saw that with um, with Aaron O'Toole, right, where how he completely flip flopped on on his position on. Uh, uh on the firearms ban from 2020 and that cost him uh that cost him his job as leader of the conservative party that flip-flop um it also cost him the election because <laughs> he he was i believe in the lead at the time that he said that and his numbers plummeted after that um because most, because a lot of people moved over to uh, Max Bernier's uh, People's Party of Canada, because um, they said, "Well, what's the point in voting for this guy if he's not going to support the reasons I supported him?" So, um, but Pierre's not doing that. Um, Pierre is standing firm on virtually every policy that he put forward during the campaign uh so i've got to say i'm i'm mightily impressed with that because uh, that is something you don't normally see from a conservative leader that's true and i uh 
I will say he doesn't use the words freedom as much as he did during the leadership campaign. And there's, you know, he doesn't talk about firing the Bank of Canada governor as much. He still has said he, I mean, he will replace the Bank of Canada governor with someone who actually believes in the 2% inflation target. So, I mean, he's still on the same page. And what I got to say really impressed me with Pierre Polyev is myself, I've been a, a populist all my life, which, you know, probably because I'm from the prairies and that's what we do out here. But he did have a lot of like the rallies that he was, he, one of the rallies he had in Saskatoon that I attended, he hit a lot of those good populist talking points. Like for example, that we're going to build Canadian pipelines using Canadian steel, Canadian workers, and you know, fantastic. That's, that's exactly how it all should be. And, you know, those are very, very big hits statements like that, but he meant it. And he still means it. And he's, you know, he's, I think the biggest thing with Pierre Polyev is he steps into a room in Saskatoon or in Halifax or in Vancouver Island, and he knows how to connect with the people that are there because he's actually one of us regular people. I mean, and he, he says it often when he talks with, uh, with, with media with the, well, the odd time he does, I mean, he has no problem saying, yeah, I mean, I was, given up for adoption to a 16 year old unwed mother. And he goes through his story. I mean, he's married to an, to an immigrant. His father came out as being gay. He's got, uh, I mean, he's as every man as well as every man. So it's very easy for him to connect with his audiences. And yeah, I'm like, like you say, give him credit that he is, he hasn't backed down. He's, he's for the most part kept his message and it's got to bode well for him. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's he's talking about things that the kids nowadays are are their biggest concerns. I mean, you hear Trudeau talking about what he thinks the young people's biggest concerns are, and that's pronouns and and uh, climate change and climate change and stuff like that. But Pierre Pierre is talking about the ability to own a home. Good paying jobs, um, you know, the affordability taxes. And it turns out young people care about those things because they're stuck living at home with their parents still, and they're 25 years old or 30 years old, and they're still living in their parents' basement because they can't afford an apartment. They can't afford to move out. They can't get jobs that pay well. They the uh, the income tax, uh, or not income tax, but taxes in general keep going up. The uh, with the carbon tax and such, they can't afford to fill the gas tank in their car. I mean, we saw that this year with the gas prices that just went out of control. Um, I mean, I we had diesel prices here that were up around the two dollar thirty mark. Um, We've, we've had, uh, um, you know, I mean, I, I know diesel out in New Brunswick had hit 305 a liter um, at one point. Uh, it, 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 this is, uh, with gas not far behind, by the way, like uh, gasoline was, was pretty high all across the country. And these are the things that young people care about because they don't want to live with their parents forever. They don't want to, um, you know, live in a basement. They, they don't want to live in a little apartment. They, they want 
to own a house like the rest of us have right and 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 so Pierre's talking to them he's talking directly to them because young people's concerns for the first time in a long time that I can that I can remember young people's concerns are lining up with older people's concerns um that's a good way to put it it's not it's not all about climate change and because who gives a rat's ass if the earth is warming if you are starving right i mean and i'm not saying like that 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 you know global warming isn't something to be worried about i mean yeah of course it's something to be worried about if it was real um but <laughs> but the but the thing is is um the things that are immediate uh, that, that are of immediate concern to, to canadians of all ages for the first time in a long time is the same for all ages and Pierre is talking directly to those people because those are the things he's talking about. And our idiot in chief doesn't talk about those things because he's the cause of those things. And he just wants to pretend they don't exist. Well, that's a good point. I mean, the, the one rally that I went to in person and then other rallies I've, I've seen footage of actually prove exactly what you said because there you know the one i was at here was was intended by all ages there were people with with babies and toddlers there young families there were you know single young people there were older people middle aged it was it was it was everybody because yeah you're right i mean everybody's concerns actually align with exactly what pierre was speaking to so i mean he's uh well he was the right man for for the time as far as the conservative party leadership goes and I think fantastic that Justin Trudeau actually stated to to his lapdogs of the media that he looks forward to taking on Pierre Polyev in an election and wants to stay on so that he can take on Pierre Polyev. And I think fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, bring it. Yeah. It might be the biggest misstep of his career. And there's been a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and actually, let's uh, let, let's dovetail that very topic into our our last discussion and that that is the affordability crisis and that has been by far one of the biggest stories all year but it's really been hitting home kind of from the summer and beyond that it's uh that it's really become an issue and you had actually talked about that i think in one of our last shows how 52 percent of people are cutting back on their grocery purchases because they can't afford them i mean you and shoplifting from grocery stores is actually at an all-time high and that that breaks my heart because people yeah. are literally stealing food so they can feed their families and that's that should never happen in a g7 country no i mean food banks are setting records this year for how many people they're feeding and i mean that's not good it, we shouldn't be setting records. Well, no, let me rephrase that. We should be setting records. We should be setting records for the fewest amount of people that have been served by food banks. Not the most. I mean, this it's really disheartening. 
what we're seeing. And it's what's even more disheartening is that we've got a prime minister and a government that just doesn't give a rat's ass. Oh, but he does. We saw his interview with Donna Friesen with, uh, with Global, and she asked about the affordability crisis. And she talked about Canadians who are hurting. And Justin Trudeau did say that it really breaks his heart. And, oh, and by the way, I'm going to Jamaica on your dime. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, think he, I think what he said was that, you know, it just strengthens his resolve to be there for Canadians. Yeah, that was what, do mean, what do you mean? What do you mean be there? What, is, what the hell is that? Like people don't want you to be there. They want you just to get the hell out of the way. And well, and he's he keeps trying big government solutions uh, to like, for example, for inflation. Let's just throw some more money out, and they call it targeted because it's the the low income renter uh, the five hundred dollar rental supplement or rent assistance, yeah. which you debunked right off the hop when you uh, when I told you the income thresholds that yeah. nobody actually qualifies for it. And then talked about yeah. childcare. Well, all you're doing is spending more money to throw into the system and thereby increase inflation. So he's not doing a damn thing, but making things worse. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, and and there's there's you know different aspects to this affordability crisis, right? I mean, it's not just the cost of things; it's also the fact that um, we don't have uh we we don't have access to health care we i mean and, and i mean you might you know how does this how does this you know tie into the affordability uh crisis well i mean because it's the money that's being put into healthcare is not going very far anymore um there's and it's not because and it's not because we need to pour more money into it. It's because the money is being wasted. It's being, you know, spent on, you know, upper management. Because I mean, like our 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 health authorities are all super top heavy. There's all kinds of managers and and executives and all this getting huge pay when that money should be going to hiring hospital staff and more operating room times and all of that kind of stuff and it's and and so we're they just keep throwing more and more and more money at these problems but not solving any of the issues and not even alleviating any of the issues uh in fact making it worse somehow um and uh and, and i mean all of this goes to the affordability because our taxes get jacked up to pay for all this and it's not working and it just it all just contributes to um our standard of living dropping um and getting more and more expensive but yet getting worse um yeah well and uh think about that when you talk about tax increases Starting today, uh, Canadians are now going to have $300 less every year for the increase in payroll taxes because our CPP, our UI premiums are all going up. And yeah. you as an employer know this, but it's, uh, it's good to point out for the rest of Canada who uh, you know, may or may not know this, is that not only are you as an employer taking more deductions off of, for example, my paycheck as an employee, 
you as an employer also have to match those contributions. So now you as an employer have less money to, well, say invest in growing your business or invest in a, a, you know, a decent wage increase or a higher wage increase at any rate and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, this is something that sort of snowballs and it spirals downhill. So now you're, you're forcing employees to take a pay cut because of tax increases. You're enforcing the employer to match those tax increases, thereby decreasing their bottom line. And so now they can't grow the economy the way they normally would and create more jobs to sort of help offset these tax cuts. So it's, it's a lose-lose. Well, and let's be real. I mean, any of these cost um, increases to businesses just get passed on to the consumer. I mean, so that's why inflation is one of the reasons inflation is going up is because we keep getting all these expenses for doing business going up. Um, Because not only is are those expenses going up, but so are the carbon taxes. Um, I think they're going up twice this year. One on April 1st, the, the existing carbon tax is increasing. And in July, I believe, uh, the uh, there's a second carbon tax being added. And if you don't think that those expenses are being passed on to you, you're nuts. Because businesses aren't going to just swallow that. They're not going to just eat that and, and, uh, um, and say, oh, no, don't worry about it. We're going to pay that and we're not going to pass it on. No. The way business works is that you maintain or, it, or increase your profits every year. And the only way to do that when increase in costs are, are, uh, um, are experienced by a business is that they pass those cost increases on to the consumer. It's the only way it works. When, when you go, oh, yeah, you know, you hear these people just, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs that we've got to increase taxes, tax the shit out of, out of businesses, tax corporations, tax the rich people. Guess where, who pays that? It's not the corporation that pays that. Corporations don't pay taxes. They, yeah, they do send tax money to the government. But they don't pay taxes. The consumer pays their taxes. Like when they get a big tax bill, when they get a big tax bill, that expense is passed on to the consumers, period. Every single time. So you can't, you know, this is not something that, uh, that is not an expense to the consumer. It is, it all gets passed on. So your cost of living goes up. Every time businesses have to pay more tax or more payroll uh, taxes or, or their expenses increase, the only person that gets hurt in all this is the consumer, which is every average, everyday Canadian. Um, and the same thing is true uh, when it comes to Uh, material costs and stuff like that like there's all this inflation happening right now there's all these uh uh interest rate increases where like myself my business um last year 
our material costs increased on average uh, 20%. And there were some, uh, some of my materials increased by as much as 30%. And this year, I, I've, this winter, I've already been told by my suppliers to expect another 10 to 12% increase in the spring. So, I mean, the, for some of my materials, that's as much as 42% increase in 18 months. So, I mean, you can't, those, those things get passed on to the consumers too. I mean, and this is where like the interest rates are incredibly damaging, right? And, and they're, I mean, along with mortgages, obviously, uh, the interest rates are just destroying people who have uh, variable rate mortgages or mortgages that are up for renewal right now. Um, like people are just going, I can't afford this. I got to sell my house or I have to, um, you know, I have to give something up to be able to pay for this. And, and that something is, we've been finding out, happens to be food. It's their cars. You know, I mean, this is, we're in a really bad situation right now. And from what I've heard is, uh, and again, this is my, me believing my own eyes and ears, uh, the malls and the stores during Boxing Week here have been fairly quiet. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, when we were talking before the show, I was, one thing I said is usually when you go to the malls for around Christmas Boxing Week, it, you, uh, you can't find a parking spot. They're an absolute zoo. And now not only can you find a parking spot, you've actually got a choice. So there's that. And uh, what you had said bef before the show as well is uh, it's probably a good way to wrap it up. Just talk with a few current events is this country's falling apart in a lot of ways. Yep. I mean, you're, you're seeing it with the fact that people can't even afford to live anymore. For one thing, you're seeing it with the fact that planes and trains don't run on time. You had pointed out to me that Air Canada and WestJet are two of the worst airlines in North America as far as uh, being late is concerned. And yeah. Air Canada, being the service provider they are, actually canceled all their flights out of Regina and Saskatoon to Calgary. So they don't even offer that schedule anymore. So now there's only WestJet and Flair that offer that schedule. And now Sunwing just announced uh, last week that they're ca canceling all flights from Saskatchewan till at least February 6th. So I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you want to talk about things falling apart. Well, talk to the poor folks who are stranded on via rail with no communication. And uh, I'd said to my wife last night that, you know, Atlas Shrugged was not meant to be a blueprint. It was meant to be a warning. And well, people didn't take the warning very well. Yeah, no. And I mean, it's funny because we've been saying that for the last three years about the book 1984 uh, not being a blueprint, that it was a warning. And, uh, and now we're saying that about Atlas Shrugged. And I recommend that people go and read that book, by the way. Um, but I mean, the, the thing is, is like, we've got such a we we do we have a country that is starting to fall apart um i actually think we're well into falling apart uh there's you know everything from 
the unity crisis because you know we've got western canada that's not happy we've got quebec that's not happy we've got you know it, it, most parts of this country are not happy with being part of canada at the moment um because we feel like we're we're just being um ignored or taken advantage of by ottawa um we've got uh healthcare is completely broken and is failing at the moment um and and i would not be surprised if uh our healthcare system almost completely collapses pretty soon um because i think we're going to have a mass exodus of nurses and uh and doctors where they they say i'm not doing this anymore i can't take this any longer um and they and they change careers or they move to another country that is going to treat them better or pay them better um that we've got uh i mean and i've told people this on multiple occasions the reason you wait 18 months for some surgeries in this country is because we have relegated our our surgeons to just one day a week in the operating room and that is across the country that's not a provincial thing that is across the country surgeons can only operate one day a week in this country um we've also got uh you know our affordability is is it's it is absolutely ridiculous that a country as a with, with as much empty land as as canada that our housing is as expensive as it is i mean everything is collapsing i mean I, trust me the the town i live in they're proposing Currently, the town is $23 million in debt, and they're proposing to build a pool that's going to cost $50 million and that will add $1,000 to our property taxes every year. Um, this is, and they're seriously looking at this, and it's like, who the hell can afford that? I mean, people, the, the, the food bank in this town is, is being, it can't even keep up to demand. And they're talking about increasing our property taxes by another grand a year. Like, it's just, everything just feels like it's, and I, and I think I said this on a show a couple of months ago, where I said that it feels like everything is just running towards the edge of a cliff. And, uh, and I, and I believe I said that on this show a couple of months ago and, and I, and I, I still, I firmly believe that it feels, it really feels like everything in this country is just running as fast as it can off the edge of a cliff. And, and it just, every week that goes by, it, it just reinforces how I feel about it. Well, it's a good analogy, actually. That's and sadly, there's too many lemmings that are just running in behind and and ready to fall. But yeah. I think that's actually a, a good place to wrap the show up. There is that you know someone's got to be there to pull us back from that precipice and get us yeah. off the cliff. So uh, whether there is a, a go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to say and and I mean 
and these are the three most important stories of the year that that you and I have have uh, narrowed it down to. Um, I mean that that's not to say that you know like the firearms situation in this country isn't important. I mean it's as far as I'm concerned, it might be the most important issue in the country, not because they're taking away our guns, but because of what it represents. Um, it just represents a wholesale uh, uh, gutting of our of our of our rights and freedoms. Um, and but so I mean it, it 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 is one of the most important issues facing our country at the moment. Um, but these other three are 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 extremely important as well so i mean like there's there's uh, many other issues we could be talking about as as top stories of 2022 but like like i said like the whole country just feels like everything just feels like it's like it's gonna run right off a cliff here and and i hate to say it because i mean that never ends well for anybody no exactly right but uh I'm still I'm still long on Canada. I think we can save this place, but we certainly can't with the current administration. That's uh, that, that that's just that, that that's not even just an opinion anymore. I mean, that's just they've shown it. So no, it's that's just fact. Yep, absolutely is. Yeah. So anyway, Canada, we can save this place. We just gotta 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 make some changes but uh thank you for joining us on this year in review show we will be back with you for a full episode next week and uh once politics uh, gets ramped up again as far as when the house of commons resumes and provincial legislatures resumed you may end up hearing more rants from us but we're always still here for you unlike a lot of the other shows that shut down until parliament resumes but we'll be here so until next week it is tony in saskatchewan and Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>